this morning, I want to, uh, I want this sermon this morning to challenge us to see how we can model our lives after the first century church in, in, two, in two big ways. The first one is, to, is by holding our possessions, whether them be our time, our talents, our money, our resources, with an open hand. And the second way that I want to challenge us to be like the first century church is to be intentional with our possessions for the purpose of caring for the needs of believers, their community, and our community, and advancing the kingdom of Christ. So if you have a, a copy of God's Word this morning, I want to encourage you to turn to, uh, turn to Acts, Acts chapter 4, fifth book of the New Testament, right after the Gospel of John. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. And it will also be on the screen this morning if you don't have a copy of God's Word this morning. Uh, a little bit of context as you're turning there this morning. Peter and John have been released from prison after they were tried by the Jewish religious council for healing a lame man in Jesus' name. The disciples and the early Christians began praying for boldness because they knew the threat they were under by Rome and by the Jewish religious establishment. The church began to organize in order to protect itself against these threats and to be a witness in their communities by pooling their resources, selling unnecessary possessions, and giving them away to any who had need. This is one of the most radical passages in Scripture, yet it's one of the most powerful passages in terms of the difference the gospel makes when it takes root in people's hearts, when it takes root in a church, both personally and collectively, again, as, as a body. So if you have a copy of God's Word, we're going to look at Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37, and it says this. Luke writes, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were given, giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and a great grace, and great grace was given, was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, I want us to notice verse 32. Let's read verse 32. It says, Now a full number of those who had believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now, before we get really deep into it, I don't want us to misunderstand that this verse is saying that believers are mandated or commanded to sell literally everything that they have, that this is, a, this is a thing that if you don't do this, then you're not a believer, 
Um, this, is, this isn't a proof text either for uh, what some would say as early communism, okay? Just giving away everything and everybody gets their piece of the pie. Um, the people still had possessions. The Christians of this time still had possessions, even though they were selling them. We see many references of early believers still having, quote, their homes. We see this in the next chapter when we find Peter telling Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5, verse 4, that they weren't under any obligation to sell their property. But I think the key difference is how believers in the early church viewed their possessions with an open hand rather than a closed fist. This is mine. It doesn't belong to anybody else. I refuse to help anybody else with it. The early church viewed their possessions, their money, their resources, their time, and their talent with a wide open hand. And I've talked about this before when I covered Acts 2.45 a couple months ago. But the early church's viewpoint on possessions which I believe should be our own as well, is that our heavenly possession of Christ outweighs any earthly attachment to anything material. That our willingness to hold possessions with an open hand is real life evidence that communicates this earth is not our home and that our true treasure is in heaven. When the early church intentionally and purposefully sold their possessions and gave away their possessions in, in many senses to anyone in need, they put what could easily be a theoretical, theological belief that I should give up everything I have for the gospel, they put that into real-life action. Now, you may already be sitting here this morning and saying to yourself, Stephen, I don't have an abundance of money. I don't have an abundance of possessions to just necessarily sell or give away. I would say that one, we don't give and serve and, and give of our time and our resources from a position of abundance. If we think about it, we, we give from the position, the reason, the motivator of our giving is not just because we have so much stuff that we can do without a lot of this, even though that may be the case in many of our situations more than we realize. The reason we give is from a position of gratitude and faithfulness to Christ as God leads us because of what has been done in us that God gave up immeasurable amount for us and gives us more than we could ever ask or imagine. Therefore, we aren't attached to any of this stuff and we give just as Christ has given to us. It's a tangible, I don't want to say a one-to-one -one, because it's not a one-to-one. -one. Christ gives far more than we can ever give to Him. But it's an example of Jesus gives to us and therefore we give to, to others. And again, if we think about it, even though we may not have an, an overabundance of money or possessions, we all, all of us, and I'm firmly convinced of this, that all of us in this room have something to deploy for the benefit of those in need 
and for the building up of the church. Every one of us has something that we can put into action, that we can give, that we can say, a resource and time, a talent, something that we can deploy for the purpose of building up the church as a means of showing our witness to both people inside this church and to our community. For example, you may have talents that right now you're simply not using for his glory. You may have a musical talent or a teaching talent or an administration talent or any type of talent, a technical talent, a mechanical talent that other people simply do not have and, and quite frankly comes natural to you that you don't think it's a big deal. Some people who are very talented with mechanics or doing those things may think, oh, that's, that's not a hard thing to do. But trust me, to me, that's a huge deal because I can't do it. Some people think, you know, that's not a hard thing to teach. You just, you just you know, open the curriculum and communicate to kids. To other people, that could be very intimidating. I'm, I'm positive that every single one of us in this room has a gift, a talent, a resources that can be beneficial for the building up of the kingdom of God that you, if you really thought about it, that you're not deploring or de deploying for its maximum benefit. You may have certain types of possessions, but you... You may not have certain types of possessions, but you may have a surplus of time. You may be in a position in your life right now where you have an abundance of the most fantastic resource available, and that is time. You may have unique skills that others simply don't have that you could use to benefit the glory of God and build a church. And as those of us who claim to really believe what we say we believe, we need to internalize that we are given what we have in order to be the light of the world, a city on a hill. If we refuse, if we hold our possessions, our time and our money and whatever it is with a closed fist and say, selfishly, this is mine and I, I don't want to use this for the glorification of Jesus and the building up of His church. If we refuse to use these things for His glory, then our light is dimmer. And the city on a hill in which we claim to live is much less appealing to those outside the city walls. Notice that Luke emphasizes how believers were, listen to this, the sole benefactors of furthering the mission of the church. The church, the local church, supported itself and should always support itself. The church didn't ask unbelievers or the Roman government to support the mission of the church. This was the mission and the task and the responsibility and honestly the command from Christ to the church to go to the world, not the other way around. The early church trusted that God would provide through the membership of the local body to accomplish its mission. And the local church, as a response to the, the command given in the Great Commission, what they decided to do is they pulled their resources together because it believed in the mission of the church. We call it the Great Commission. That it was the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, 
supported by believers that was meant to go to the world. The first century church didn't view its mission as the responsibility of the Romans to fund or unbelievers to fund in the community or those outside the faith to support. The mission of the church was completely supported by believers who gave and trusted in God's provision that when we give of our time and our resources, all of those things together, we're pulling together, trusting that God would take all of our resources further than we ever could on our own. And it's important, it's vitally important that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ understands that our witness isn't just that we do ministry. It's also how we do ministry that is our witness as well. How we pull things together. How we support our ministry endeavors. How we pay for things. How we do things. How we teach those whom it is our responsibility to build and to teach. This is the purpose of the offering. This is why we collect it every Sunday during worship. Because it's a public showing of trust that God provides for and does His work through the local church, supports itself, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we give as a response and we give to it. It's an act of worship when we give. It's an act of worship, friends, when you take that Sunday school class and you are faithful week in and week out. It's faithful, friends, that every time you come and you serve in the kitchen on Wednesday nights, that that's an act of worship, or that when you serve in the nursery, or that when you work on the church vans, or that you, you put the filters in our air conditioning system. All of these things, when we give from the abundance of our time and our talent and our resources that other people might have, each of these things, it's vitally important that we understand that these are acts of worship, not just acts that we do around the church to serve it, but these are acts of worship. And when we view it that way, it changes how we interact with each other and how we feel about our local body. Now look at verses 33 through 35, if you would. Acts 4, 33 through 35. The Holy Spirit writes, through, Paul, or through Luke, it says, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. Verse 34 says that there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Notice how verse 33 is somewhat of a kind of kind of interlude between what's happening in verse 32 and what's happening in verse 34 where Luke is talking about the church selling and giving away possessions. It's it's almost as if Luke should have written verse 33 at the end of verse 35 as a conclusion. If I were writing it, that's how it would go. But I didn't write this. Luke, empowered by the Holy Spirit, wrote this. So there must be intentionality here. 
There must be purpose. So why put a verse talking about giving testimony to the resurrection between verse 32 and verse 34? I think this is why. In verse 32, they were selling their possessions and it says they had everything in common. Then they gave testimony. Then it was what? Distributed to those who were in need. This is obviously a a consistent and and a constant practice happening within the church over time. But I believe the Holy Spirit writing through Luke here wants the reader of Acts to understand when it comes to faith, there are actions that follow just um, doing worship or giving our life to Jesus. That when we give our life to Jesus, that when we confess Jesus as Lord, there are actions that follow. In fact, there must be actions that follow for us to show ourselves as true believers. If you don't believe me, take a moment and read James. Very clear about this. That when we give praise to Jesus, the way that we show that that is authentic, that that is true, that that's taken root in our heart, is when we testify to the power of the resurrections, actions follow as a natural result. Obviously, I don't think salvation is earned by these actions. I don't think we can do enough good works to get into God's good graces. It's impossible. But at the same time, friends, the visible, there's a visible, tangible proof of our faith to the world, at least, we are trying to reach in seeing when we do these actions. Luke's making the point that praise and bearing witness to the work of Christ coupled with our actions as believers and as a church are two sides of the same coin of faith. That our work, the things we do, is reflective, is a proof, is a fruit, as Galatians would say, of what Jesus has done in us. That Jesus gives of Himself, He empties of Himself and gives Himself away for our good and His glory, and we in turn do likewise with the things and the possessions, the time, the resources, all of those things that we have in order to give Him glory. Therefore, therefore, we hold our money, time, talents, possessions, etc., 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 with open hands to our brothers and sisters within this congregation and to those in need because Jesus holds grace and mercy open to us with outstretched hands. It's also important for us to understand that the apostles weren't selling and giving away possessions as a matter of just simple philanthropy or giving giving their stuff away for a tax break. Okay, That wasn't the motivator of what they were doing. Verse 32, if you notice, is, is sandwiched, be, sandwiched between two verses talking about s- selling and giving possessions. It's clarifying for us that selling and giving away our possessions in whatever form that they f- we find them and giving them away is supposed to be intentional and used for the purpose of 
Christian means and Christian endeavor and Christian witness. It's clarifying for any reader that the selling, giving away possessions, again, in whatever form we have them, was intentionally done by the early church as a physical manifestation of what the Spirit of Christ does and did in our hearts. Therefore, our giving is as much is, is much different than giving to a telethon or, or giving in order uh, that we can get some sort of a kickback later on from somebody else. When we give, we give simply because we love the Lord. I'm going to say that again. When we give to our church, when we give to any ministry within the church, we're not just giving so that we could get something in return or doing it for any other ulterior motives. We give to a ministry and we give to churches simply because we love the Lord. We give because we love Jesus. Full stop. We give because we love Jesus, we love His church, and we want His name to be glorified in our lives. We want His name to be glorified in the church, and we want His name to be glorified with everyone we come into contact. That's why we give with no other, with no other alternative motivations just for that simple purpose alone. And as a result of that perspective on giving, we have verse 34. What does it say in verse 34? Let's look at it together. Because of that, there was a certain result. There was not a needy person among them. Why? Because their motivation was right. Their heart was right. Therefore, there wasn't a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. Verse 34 makes it clear the first place of provision for the money that was brought to the church was to alleviate the needs of those within their own body. This is instructive for us on a couple levels, two levels. The first is that when many Christians came to faith in the first century, especially if they were Gentile believers, it became difficult for, difficult for them within the empire to find gainful employment. Christians, Christians at this time in the Roman Empire were often viewed with suspicion. And it was very difficult for uh, owners of businesses and, and especially within the government to hire them on. So finding employment was very difficult, so they saw it as their responsibility to make sure the needs of their brothers and sisters were, were met. They may have been ostracized by their families, especially younger believers who were ostracized by their families who were, who were devout to the Roman gods and therefore would kick their, 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 their teenage and young adult um, children out of their homes. They may have found themselves and their family to be exiles in many ways, so the church viewed it as their responsibility to care for their needs. Not simply as friends, not just simply as fellow church members, but as brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters in Christ. The church didn't see the care 
of fellow believers as the government's job. They saw it as their responsibility to care for each other the same as if they were members of their own family. And the second way it's instructive for us is that if we're going to be effective in reaching the world, we need to be, as a church, as individuals and as a body, in a healthy place as individuals and as a body again, to make sure that those within our church have everything they need. This is different than greed. This is everything we need, that we have food, that we have adequate shelter, that we have water, that we have those type of things that we're all cared for. It's the same idea that you cannot care for others if you're not being cared for yourself. If you're in an unhealthy place, it's very uh, difficult to care for others who need help as well. You can try to do that, but if you do, you're on a fast track to crashing and burning. For example, have you ever been on a flight and noticed that little brochure in the seat back pocket in front of you that says, in the event of cabin pressure dropping, masks will fall from the compartment above you. It instructs the person, it instructs the adult to take a few breaths in the mask before giving it to the child. The rationale behind that is if you're going to be of any help to kids or any other people around you who need help, you can't help them if you're passed out cold on the airplane floor. So you need to care for yourself and then you're able to care for those around you. The adult needs to care for themselves first to ensure that they're able to care for those around them. And this is why, as a side note, I'm going I'm to take this as, as an opportunity to really highlight the, the good work that we do as Southern Baptists. You know, as Southern Baptists, we really take these verses to heart. And as Southern Baptists, we, with all of our faults, because there are many faults with Southern Baptists at times, but there are a lot of really good things that we do in this world because we take this verse to heart. The, the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention, where we take a percentage of our tithes every single week, and so do tens of thousands of other Southern Baptist churches across our world. It's, it's so genius when we pool our money to, together. We give some of our resources and our time and our efforts and all of those things together to our local, state, and foreign mission entities so that our missionaries, whether they are short-term, whether they are long-term, whether they are career, they are fully cared for so that they can care for others. If you want to be a missionary short-term, semi-long-term, or career, with the International Mission Board, you don't necessarily have to go to your church and say, give me money. You can sign up through the International and, and North American Mission Board and they will fund you so that you can be a blessing to other people. This is why we give. This is the purpose of Lottie Moon. This is the purpose of Annie Armstrong. This is the purpose of the Golden Offering to, through Tennessee Baptist Convention. We do remarkable things, and this is why the Southern Baptist Convention is the largest missionary sending organization on earth. Because we believe this. I get excited about that. Okay. Our North American Mission Board and International Mission Board, they exist so that all our churches can give a small amount of money, a small amount of money, 
and are able to fund thousands, thousands, friends, of missionaries rather than local churches footing a large share of the bill for just a few. This is why Southern Baptist churches can send thousands of missionaries without them being a financial burden on individual churches. It's why your cooperative program dollars fund six seminaries that provide programs through undergraduate all the way through PhD level so that, so that Southern Baptist pastors and missionaries and youth pastors and missionaries can have affordable, high-quality theological education that ministerial staff don't need to go into debt for training in order to serve the body of Christ. It's why the Southern Baptist Convention is one of the top three relief organizations on planet Earth. It's also why we can have Wednesday night events here, that we pool our resources together as a church. It's why we can have vacation Bible school. It's why we can have community fellowships and outreaches like Trunk or Treat that don't charge admission, but say to our community, come and see. Come and let us love on you. Things that say to our community, we are here for you, not the other way around. I want us to catch a vision that is get that giving is both for us and for the needs of our community in which we serve. It's just, it's not so that we can just make payroll or to make sure that the bill's paid and the light stays on. It's much more than that. This calls on all believers. It calls on you. It calls on me to think and pray through how God would best call us as individuals and as families to best use our resources in whichever way we find them to be a witness to the gospel. How we use our resources that we have is extremely important for our witness, both personally and corporately. And since the New Testament talks about it, since Jesus talks about it, so will I. Verse 35, let's look together. Verse 35 says, And they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was done what? Distributed to each as any had need. Now this isn't a random, this isn't a random process. They just didn't pull them together and just said, hey, y'all go and grab what you need. This was a very intentional process, oversight, overseen by the deacons, over, overseen by church leadership, and, and done in coordination with the local church. This wasn't willy-nilly, grab what you want. This was very intentional and done on a person-by-person, -person, individual and family-by-family -family, uh, basis to decide how these things were given. There was accountability structures built into this, just as there are now, and there were ways of determining how the money and possessions were given out. You're a part of this also as a member of a Southern Baptist church. When you give your money, you are also able to, to call your local, this is why you can call our local association, you can call our state board, you can call our national board. You have, you have the power to influence the people whom you send to the, the Southern Baptist Convention, the Tennessee Mission Board, and our local mission boards. You, you have the power as Southern Baptist churches, where the people at the top, quote, quote, the presidents, are the ones with the least power, the ones with the most power in Southern Baptist churches are sitting in the pews, and that's you. 
because we are the ones who give and we are the accountability structure. And if you look at verse 36, it says, thus Joseph, or as a result, Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Does anyone else find it strange that Luke points out or takes the time to write what Joseph's tribe affiliation is here? Why point out that Joseph was a Levite? Does it matter? Why does he talk about Joseph being a Levite before talking about his assistance and support of the first century church? Well, who were the Levites? The Levites were the tribe who assisted the most in public worship. Many times the Levites, they weren't just financially sound, but here's who the Levites were. The Levites were craftsmen. The Levites were musicians. They also provided a service of guarding the temple during worship. They assisted the priest in accomplishing the routine ministry tasks and making worship go smoothly. It wasn't just financial. It was all the other things. It was the talents they had. It was the resources they had. It was the abilities they had. It was the time they had. Friends, we should all seek to be Levites in our congregation. That whatever craft we may have, whatever skill or resources we have, we should deploy them and submit them and put them at the feet, as it says in verse 36 and 37, or, or in verse 35, to lay those at the feet of King Jesus and see what he would do. So this Joseph a Levite, without fanfare, without public accolade, sought to serve his church by giving in the way that he could. His way was being able to sell the field. The question is, what's yours? What's your way of serving? You may feel that you can serve in a similar way. We're all commanded to give. The question is, what way are you called? So friends, I don't want anything to hold you back from giving to the purposes of his mission in the local church. And I want us to remember this too. Remember this very clearly. Remember, he doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. So if you're thinking about this and you're like, I don't feel like I have the ability to do so. Well, just remember that. He doesn't call the already equipped. He equips those who are called. And if you submit yourself to his purpose, you will find that Jesus provides for you in far more ways than you can ever ask and imagine in equipping you to do what he's called you to do. So this morning as Doug comes to lead us in a song of response, I want us to consider a few things. I want us to consider the ways God may be calling you this morning to serve his church. I want us to act on that call as well. Not just think about it, but to act upon it. In what ways is Christ calling you to invest in the mission of Christ and his church? Because we have a command to do so. Could it be that God is calling you to teach? Could it be that God is calling you to volunteer with our student ministry or with our children 
Is God calling you to give up being involved in other things that take up so much of your time so that you can have more time and resources to invest in the kingdom? Is he calling you to invest in ways you never considered before and quite frankly might be a little intimidating to you? Oh, I could never do that. Maybe Jesus is calling you into that too. You never know. Whatever it is this morning, because it's something, don't walk out those doors in the back this morning. Don't walk out those doors hearing what I've said this morning as just a challenge to become more involved. That's, that's not the point of what I'm trying to get us to do. It's a challenge for us, for you, for me, as believers, to match our investment, our resources, and our time with what we profess in our lives to be of utmost importance, and that's the glory of Christ in our world and within our church. Let's pray together and sing a song of response and respond this morning as the Holy Spirit would lead us. Father, we love you.